You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Today's episode of the show is going to be on the loss the third in a row, a losing streak going for the Denver Nuggets now. They fall to San Antonio, um, 104-103. You know, people always talk, <clears throat> is it worse to lose in a blowout or is it worse to lose in the final moments? It's a question for the philosophers, but unfortunately, Denver Nuggets fans can answer because they got both <laughs> in, in one game. Unfortunately, um, Denver falls behind early. Couldn't get a rhythm going, really looked off their game for most of this, and then rallied back in the fourth, had a lot of fight, knocked down some shots, kind of showed their talent. When you come back from a game like that, it has a lot to do with just talent, just raw talent, upside. What can a team do when their back is against the wall? And Denver kind of showed showed their hand a little bit there and, um, and, and was very impressive, but unfortunately came up just a bit shy, just one point shy of... Uh, of doing the unthinkable but so this game is going to be on the notes from that if you if you're new to the show welcome I like to always kind of go rather than kind of go over what happened in the game play by play beat by beat I'd rather just kind of share the things that I found the most interesting there was a lot of them in this game and uh, just use that as a talking point for what's going on with the nugget so Let's do that. Let's get into it. But actually, before we do, I just quick reminder, our watch parties this this Wednesday. Come out and join me. I don't want to be alone at the at the watch party watching the the Lakers game. Um, this could be a fun one for Denver. You know, Denver, I'm going to talk about in this show, Denver, I think, is closer to sort of, you know, getting getting back to back on the saddle, kind of getting a run going than I think a lot of people realize. There's a lot of promising things out of here. There's some, some real concerning things for sure, but I think... On the whole, I'm a lot more positive about the Nuggets and where they are at right now than most people. Um, you know, but Wednesday's game provides excellent opportunity. The Lakers are pretty much eliminated from the playoffs. I mean, Denver can really, really drive that final blow uh, to the head to the Lakers and put them out of their misery. And, oh, my gosh, how great would that be? You guys, you're going to want to be around me if the Nuggets beat the, the Lakers on Wednesday. Just trust me on this one. You're going to want to be around. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think we can all have a good time. And maybe we need a little bit of sports therapy with each other to kind of just talk about what's going on with this Nuggets team. Is it? Do we need to be concerned? Is there a concern that uh, uh, some, some bigger picture? Let's talk about it at Stiff's Night Out. So come on out Wednesday uh, at Stoney's Uptown, 7.30 start. There'll be prize giveaways. Good chance you can win some tickets to Nuggets games um, the following week. So come on out and, and we'll have a good time. All right, let's get into this one. The Nuggets couldn't make a shot to open. There was a lot of things that happened here um, in, in the start of this game, and I'm going to go through all of them. But but the number one thing was that to start this game, to open it up, Denver just could not get a rhythm um, because they could not knock down shots, and they got great looks. Um even Jokic missed a wide open layup. He had a Denver started. I think they're down seven to nothing to start, and you kind of get worried because it was like four or five possessions in a row where Denver came up empty, which for them is very very rare. Um, Jokic gets the ball in one of his favorite plays, takes Pirtle off the dribble and goes uh, at the basket, gets great position, and then just smokes the layup. And you think, oh my god, is it going to be one of those nights? And coming into this game. Not to read too much into silly things, but you know the Nuggets seem focused. They in the tunnel. They, there were videos of, of them talking about how long it's been since they beat the Spurs. They were energetic. They were focused. They were confident. All of those things, and then you come out and lay 
that kind of an egg, um, it, it was really, really, you know, th- that kind of set a bad tone. But I didn't think the tide really turned for Denver with missed shots because with Denver, it's all a numbers game. At some point, they have enough talented shooters that at some point somebody's going to get rolling. Um, what really started to break the game for them was that the live ball turnovers. And here's where Denver defensively, you know, I think we've seen flashes of them being good. But to me, the number one thing, it, it's not necessarily three-point – or I'm sorry, yeah, three-point defense. It's not necessarily, you know, dribble penetration. Those things are huge for Denver. When we talk about what's wrong with them defensively, those things are near the top of the list. But for me, and I've said this for a couple seasons now because I believe it to be true of a couple seasons – Denver in transition defensively, if they can shut off transition, then they can be a good team. But to do that, they have to be smart offensively. They can't turn the ball over, and they have to be patient enough on offense so that the game doesn't get out of control, doesn't spiral up too fast. And so one way to put it is don't turn the ball over and have an exercise in enough patience. And patience is going to be one of the most challenging things, I think, for the Nuggets and for their starting lineup of, you know, I, I wrote on Denver Stiffs last night about how great I think that lineup is. I stand by it. They were actually a positive. I'm going to talk about that in this game. They were a positive in this one on a pretty big sample size. Um so, you know, Denver in transition, though, they can't get sped up uh, on the offensive end. And, and that lineup that we're talking about, they can get A-plus shots every time in the half court if they want. But they can also get B-minus shots or B even B-plus shots sometimes in transition. And the key is going to know when to take some of those and when not to. And I thought as Denver was not scoring, they started to not trust a little bit, press a little bit too too hard, trying to get to the basket, and they turned the ball over. And the two culprits of that, uh, Will Barton and Jamal Murray, uh, to open the game. Curiously enough, I only heard from fans about one of those two players. Um, I'll let you guess which one. But both of those guys had some really bad. They both had two turnovers in the first corner. Um, Jamal Murray starts the game, I think, one for six or one for seven, and, and some questionable shots. They were going under the screen. San Antonio was going under the screen um, with Jamal Murray, which, you know, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. But Murray has to be a guy that learns how to make them pay in those moments. Whether and, and it's not just making them pay by pulling up mid-range. I think what San Antonio wants you to do is to take a lot of mid-range jumpers because, the, you, first of all, the efficiency isn't great on those as well talked about. But also it's not the type of shots Jamal Murray practices all the time. Not that he doesn't practice mid-range shots, but if you're taking seven, eight mid-range shots in a quarter, you know, you, maybe you feel a little bit weird about should I be doing this? Should we just be running our offense? So I thought San Antonio lured Denver into an some uncomfortable decisions on the offensive end, and in particular, the two primary ball handlers, Jamal Murray and Will Barton, finding themselves open, but out of their typical rhythm on the offensive end. Listen up. This is a white-hot Denver housing market, and there's a need for more rental units, Airbnb rentals, and most of all, housing for family members. So instead of paying more money for a larger home in a different neighborhood, you can affordably add an accessory dwelling unit. What's that? Also known as an ADU. Uh, it's, It's an addition to your current home or an alteration to your current home that allows you to use your space to either use it for rentals, maybe a family member, something like that. There's several different types of ADUs. There's tiny homes or container homes. There's stick builds, converted walkout basements. You have a walkout basement, you don't go down there often, Maybe you can you have some income laying on the table. Mother-in-law apartments, carriage houses, lots of different opportunities. If you live in Denver, Lakewood, Arvada, Golden, Castle Rock, unincorporated Jefferson County, 
uh, Inglewood or Colorado Springs, your house might be zoned for an ADU. By adding an ADU to your home, you can increase your home value, provide housing for an aging, aging family member, uh, get some monthly rental income, or house your adult ch children who are still living under your roof. This is more common than ever and only going to be more common in my opinion. So go to financemyadu.com. They can help you find different ways that you can pay for your ADU or just put you in touch with experts that can that are happy to help you with every step of the way. Visit them on Facebook or go to financemyadu.com or you can give them a call, 720-650-1081 and see if this is something that works with your home and, and something that might be able to bring in supplemental income for you. So when your offense is not humming, there can be, you know, how you respond to that, I think is, um, you know, there's a learning curve for, especially for young teams to kind of figure out how is best and, and what type of composure to keep. And I thought that there were six possessions almost in a row, three in a row, and then another three in a row, three by Murray, three by Will Barton, that really took Denver from just having a cold quarter to getting buried early on in this game. Um... He had a starting with Jamal Murray. He had a missed wide open kick out three. They had Denver had good looks in that first bit. I mean, it's a make or miss league, and you got to trust that what you're doing. You got to trust your own style of play and your your offense and all these different things to, that they will get it done, especially when you're getting open looks. So he gets a kick out three and he missed it, and that led to a transition opportunity for San Antonio. This is what I talk about with um, you know with Denver with patience, but also with floor balance. He gets a wide open three, holds his pose for a little bit. On the other end, he's forced to guard LaMarcus Aldridge and and he ends up giving up a bucket. He have a, he had a turnover on the next play that he threw to Paul Millsap's feet. He just again going under the screen I think disrupted him a little bit. He had taken a couple quick shots and I think he was thinking, "Okay, I haven't hit these and I've taken a lot. Uh, I should probably stop." And he throws a ball at Paul Millsap's feet that just bounces out of bounds. It's a turnover. And then he had a drive on the very next possession. He has a drive into the basket and he gets a uh, you know, kind of double clutches, didn't know where he was doing, didn't anticipate that the defense would meet him there. Um, double pump miss, and they go the other way and, and once again get a great look. So uh, three plays in a row. Denver talks about – Michael Malone has introduced this idea that I'd never heard of, but I kind of love it, the idea of a kill. And a kill is three straight stops. Well, that's a kill that Denver Denver killed themselves. They got three um, looks and didn't convert, and they were all Jamal Murray. The first one great, the next two not great at all. Um, and and that's a kill, and that goes that's where Denver goes from being down you know six or seven, having a bad quarter to down thirteen, and now you're thinking, oh God, you know this is this is spiraling out of control a little bit. A couple plays later, so so Denver was just ice cold, and you you get a couple possessions trying to figure it out, and then Will Barton comes down, and now he has three possessions, and I don't think this is a coincidence, by the way. Jamal Murray was having a real hard time with his decision making in that first quarter, and so they kind of take him off ball and say, okay, well let's you know let's play you off ball a little bit, let's see what Barton sees. Well, Barton unfortunately saw the exact same stuff, uh, forced drive in transition. This was. Um, he made a nice spin move, but again, it's one of those things, you're only down four or less or you're up, you know, maybe try to press early in transition and get a shot, but if you're not, really try to get into your half court and let's try to operate now, let's, let's get everybody involved, let's get the ball moving, let's make, even if you miss, let's make them play defense for 20 seconds, when Will Barton saw an opening, he attacks, he spins, and he didn't, somebody met him at the rim and he misses the shot. So that's a possession where Denver ran down, nobody touched it, he gets it. Then he had a wide open three, similar to Jamal, to Jamal Murray, wide open, great shot, kick out, 
and he misses that one. And then he had a sloppy turnover on the following possession where he just uh, he tried to attack into the paint and he lost control of the dribble and, and just gave coughed the ball up. So that was another kill. So San Antonio gets three kills in a row. In addition to Denver being ice cold, Denver's ice cold for maybe four or five minutes to start the game. And then they get two kills almost back-to-back. So that's how... Um, you know, being down and just being cold go, turns into now you're down 15, 19, 22 points or whatever it was uh, at one point. So um, that was tough. Denver, 2 of 15 from 3 to start this game. Mama said there'd be nights like this. You you would hope, and, and some of these guys, Gary Harris, you know, Jamal Murray, his numbers look good because of the run at the end. Um, but but some of these shots, these open looks, you, you got to start wondering just are these guys ever going to start knocking these down more consistently? Um and, and and so Denver's down. And then, of course, the second unit checks in. So I, I talked about this uh, in my article, but Denver relies so heavily, and I think going forward will rely so heavily on that unit to be, um, you know, good, at least good. And I think on most nights they will either be great, good, or neutral, meaning at worst I think they're going to play pretty close. I would expect most nights, 9 out of 10 nights, that first unit will check out of the game and be within striking distance. If they're either they're up big, up a little bit, or down just a little bit, I think they'll always be within touch. This was a rarity, I think, for Denver to be down as much as they are, and it was concerning because at the start of the season, really the first two months, when that second unit checks in, and Monte, uh, Mason Plumley, you know, you start to get these guys in there. You think, okay, we're, Denver has another shot at this. They have a, they have another group coming in that that um, maybe can get the ball rolling. I don't know that Nuggets fans are feeling that way right now with with Isaiah Thomas and 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 when he checks into the game, what happens? Unfortunately, in this game, I think Denver's down like twelve or something. An immediate 10-0 run um, when Isaiah checked into the game, and again, it's not his fault. It's just the at least in this stretch, I think later on it was more. He he, I think had more issues with running that second unit, um, but in this one, it was just a Denver didn't have momentum and they didn't have a group that was uh, confident to kind of go. The worst part, I think, about Isaiah Thomas's seven games now that, that he's played with Denver is what the heck has happened to Monte Morris. And, and number one, you know, the ball not being in his hands very much, I think, you know, has thrown him off. He's used to – he knows this team. He knows how to run that unit um, except for Isaiah Thomas. He doesn't exactly, I don't think, know him just yet. They had some great chemistry through the first couple of games, but, but not so much after that. Um, so it was – you know, so it was I, I think just watching him and watching how he plays over this last stretch of games, to me, that's one of the more concerning aspects of, of this whole situation that the Nuggets find them in. Monte, two of eight shooting. He had one assist and one turnover. We know his great, I think, five to one or five and a half to one assist to turnover ratio just hasn't hasn't been there. He hasn't been making tons of assists in big plays. So two of eight shooting, he was a minus seven, and it just it almost feels like that Monte mojo that that the team had for so long is is all but gone. Um, Gary Harris getting going has got to be one of the biggest priorities for Denver, um, for the rest of the season. He, to start the year, even before he was injured, was kind of in a weird slump. He shot 42% two years ago. He shot 40% last year and on high volume. And he was just so consistent. He wasn't one of those guys that was hot for a month, cold for a month, like Jamal Murray. He was a guy that just consistently was, was solid and knocked down his open shots and had good shot selection this season. Um, you know, down at 32%. When he gets an open look, and he was two for four, I believe tonight, so it wasn't like he was horrible from the from from the three point line. Um, but you just feel a little bit less confident on some of the shots that he gets. That you think, okay, that's a Gary shot. Uh, I don't know, necessarily know uh, what to make of that. To start the second quarter, 
Really bizarre lineup, but it kind of worked. Monte Morris, Isaiah Thomas, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig, and Wancho. Now, this is not a lineup that I would have guessed Michael Malone would trot out. Um, you're talking about, first of all, Isaiah Thomas and Torrey Craig, very small for, for, guard, for point guards, let alone a point guard and a shooting guard combo, especially defensively. And then you go with your 3-4, which is Malik Beasley and Torrey Craig, both of whom I think their natural position is shooting guard. So you've got one at small forward and one at power forward. So I would not have guessed that this lineup in seven minutes would have actually been a positive, but they were. Um, and, and I think that's you know encouraging, I suppose. I don't know if that's a lineup Denver's going to go to consistently, um, but at least tonight it worked a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure what the idea is behind that lineup. I mean, you have a lot of scoring and playmaking. Isaiah Thomas, Monte, Beasley, and Jokic, I think, are all you know above average offensive players to elite offensive players. Torrey Craig, the lone defender. But as I've talked about before, I'm not sure that Torrey Craig is the type of guy who elevates a five-man unit. I think he's a great um, piece. He's a hustle guy, and he can elevate a good one. But I don't think he's like a, the type of guy you say, oh, we're good defensively because we have uh, Torrey Craig out there. I just... That doesn't seem to me to be the impact that he has. Um, and, I, and I just have no idea how you can defend with IT on the court. This is a recurring theme. You know, one of the things that is going to be interesting with the Isaiah Thomas thing, and, and if you really want to know my thoughts on Isaiah Thomas, I highly encourage you to listen to Monday's show. In fact, I think everybody should listen to it. I think it was a good one. It went over a lot of topics, including the starters and including, you know, just sort of the wrench that Isaiah Thomas provides. But, you know, one of Malone's things all season long – well, two of two two of his biggest things. Number one, defend. Right, he's he's a defensive minded coach. I've talked about how it feels like there's almost a compromise between coach and the players. Of you know, offensively, I'm going to give you the tools you need. I'm going to give you the freedom you need and, and want and all of that stuff. But you got to defend for me. Well, it's hard for him to sort of strike that when a Isaiah Thomas comes in and. He he changes the style. He's he he's has the highest um, field goal attempts per thirty six minutes and all this different stuff. And then defensively, it's not to his fault. I mean, I think he gives effort, but he's just too little. And we saw every time in transition when Denver did not get matched up quickly in transition. You know, Patty Mills is out there when Isaiah Thomas is on him. There's a size difference, but not that much. It's okay. It's negligible. But whenever they got mixed up and he found Rudy Gay on him or Lamarcus Aldridge, I mean, there's nothing he could do. Um, not nothing he can do as in like he's got a foul. Sometimes those guys would just run to the rim. You throw the lob up and then they would just lay it in over, over him as if they were playing keep away from a child. And those are the types of things that I just don't know that there's a solution for. If Denver was a better defensive team, like the Boston Celtics two years ago, where they had tons of great defenders, and I think they were top three defensively, then I think you could say, okay, this makes sense. But offense, but with what Denver has, they just don't have a ton of guys. And when you throw out a, a lineup of Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig, and Jokic, and and want them to to cover for it, I just I have a hard time imagining that that is one a Malone lineup, and two, what kind of signal that sends. It's really weird. Um, so, so I thought that one was was kind of neat, but I want to take a quick one more quick break because when we get back, I want to we're we're gonna fast forward all the way to the end of this game and the run that the Nuggets made with that starting unit. Surprise, surprise, um, went on a fantastic run. But more important, I want to talk about Jamal Murray because this was Jamal Murray finishes the game with a pretty a, a pretty impressive stat line: twenty five points, eight assists, two two rebounds. Um, but I want to talk about how much of an X factor he is for this team because. We saw in the same game, Bad Murray and Good Murray, and we saw a Nuggets team that got blown out by the, the San Antonio Spurs and a team that blew out the San Antonio Spurs, and the result came up one point shy. We'll, we'll talk about that on the other side. 
So Jamal Murray got going a little bit in the third, really got going in the fourth. And, you know, first of all, this team battled. One of the nice things about this team, they got down by 20-something points in this game. They never quit, and they never really lost faith. And, you know, Nuggets fans, it's been really interesting getting to know Nuggets fans as intimately as I have over over the last several years. Um there's a little bit of this, everything's going to go wrong, you know, in a three-game losing streak. This is a sign of the end times and all oh, this or that. And, you know, I put on Twitter and I think people are probably, I, I fully, I, I am not going to try to convince anybody else of this opinion. Um, but I'm just not as worried. It, it, it sucks that Denver could have, had they taken care of business against New Orleans um, and had they taken care of business against Utah, Denver could have had such a comfortable lead on that two seed that you wouldn't even be thinking about it anymore. At this point, Denver could have had like a six-game or five-game lead on that, and you'd be like, okay, well, well, now there's nothing really to worry about. We can just play our game. But, you know, when I watch this team, the two seed, the three seed, the four seed, it, it matters a little bit, no doubt about it. Denver having home court for two rounds would would increase their chances of, of making it past two rounds. Um, but to me, I look more of it and think, you know, the Nuggets are building something that I really believe in. And, and there are some hiccups along the way. There's some growing pains along the way. There's some certain things that the team has to do. And when I say the team, it's not just the players. A lot of it, we always think about it's the players. I think Michael Malone has thrown a challenge right now that he has never seen and probably did not anticipate. Isaiah Thomas is a Malone guy. Uh, I would not be surprised, and I don't know this, I have no idea if this was the case, but I would not be surprised if Michael Malone was the guy that said, you know what, go out and get me Isaiah Thomas this summer. Go out and get me a veteran point guard. Because remember, Monte Morris was unproven. Um, I would not be surprised if this was Michael Malone saying, that's my guy, he's going to help us, and all this different stuff. You get into a moment now, and I think that Michael Malone, whether it's it's with IT or without him, either way, Malone has some difficult decisions, maybe conversations, just the way he carries himself. He's in a new challenge that I don't think he has seen with the Denver Nuggets. So um, there's growing pains, I think, from top to bottom with the Nuggets as they try to figure this out. But the upside to them is so is so high. And Jamal Murray, you know, he is a third-year point guard. He's one of the youngest players on the team. And, you know, there's been a lot written about it. One of the interesting things about this season, when Denver got off to the hot start, all the national reporters flew into town to write their Jamal Murray piece. The ringer came into town. ESPN sent multiple guys into town. Um, the LA Times has been – so many different people have come here to write about Jamal Murray. And, oh, we all knew about Jokic. We all knew about Gary Harris and Paul Millsap. But Jamal Murray, this is the guy that is ready for the leap, and he's the next superstar. And – I think Jamal Murray is Denver's X factor. I feel pretty confident that Jamal Murray is is going to be a very very good player, but you know, Denver finds themselves in an interesting position because I don't think right now Jamal Murray is a great player. I, I think he's he's a very hot and cold player. In fact, I I've said this before. I think if you took the average of Monte Morris this season and the average of Jamal Murray, Monte Morris has probably been the better player just in terms of every night he's consistent, he gives you what you need, he knocks down his shots, he doesn't turn it over. Those are the things you need from a point guard. But Jamal Murray's peaks are so incredibly high that Denver is just, they're a different team. And one of the things that makes me encouraged about Jamal Murray is that you know he's young. Point guard is the toughest decision to uh, position to learn. It's um, uh, we see guys that kind of figure it out and then really go on runs. And then Jamal Murray, from December to January before the ankle injury, I thought he had a really nice uh, rhythm going. Perhaps this fourth quarter in this game is the thing that got Jamal Murray going. And now we're going to get that Jamal Murray. You know, there's another leap he's going to make in season. I fully expect that 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 is possible. 
And you can even make the argument that it's likely. But right now, Jamal Murray is the X factor. Here's how I put this Nuggets team. Jokic has been so consistently good this season that I just count on him for for running the show and, and for being a, uh, the best player on the court most of the time and the second best player on the court the, the rest of the time. I mean, he's that good that he's rarely going to not be one of the two best players on the court. You know, it used to be that Gary Harris was the most consistent Nuggets player. I think now it's Jokic easily and with a bullet. But... Um, Gary Harris, you know, he's had such an up and down season and he's been injured, but one of the biggest things for Denver is getting him consistent from here on out. If you get two guys to be consistent, I think Millsap's pretty consistent too. So if you can get those three guys to all be consistent, consistently good at the very least, and every now and then you're going to get a great game from Harris, great game from Jokic, great game from, from Paul Millsap. But if you get all those guys to just be solid to very good, um, then you've got a lot of players that can sort of tilt things in your favor. Trey Lyles, Mason Plumley, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley. But I think chief among them is Jamal Murray. And Jamal Murray is a guy right now that is great maybe one out of every eight quarters. He, he just has does something where you think, oh, man, that guy really has something to him. Um, the fourth quarter of this game was one of them. And I don't know if it's him trying to think the game too much. Um, but whenever he starts to knock down shots and whenever he just starts to play aggressively um, and freely, Denver goes to a new level. One of the things I thought about tonight, you know, Denver, when they couldn't get their rhythm going, kept kept orchestrating plays and kept going to set plays. And look, you have to. When, when you allow the team to play freely and they don't get things going, you have to kind of call some structure. But down the end of this game with Denver with their backs against the wall, down 15 points, I believe, when that starting unit checked in. That's when Denver, that's when Jamal Murray really started to roll. And part of me just wonders, is he too over-orchestrated? And I would understand if that was the case, but is he too over-orchestrated? Because when we start seeing him pull up and square up and look at the rim when he comes off of these screens, it changes the way he's defended. And it changes the way um, Denver's offense is allowed to hum. So he got going tonight and we saw Denver just delivering haymaker after haymaker. um, and, And that was what was so neat to see. Uh, it was 91-74 when Jokic checked in. I think it was like 95-80 to 80 when the starters checked back in. And then they went on that enormous run. And that's the Jamal Murray that the team is going to meet. He's not going to always make four three-pointers in a quarter. But if he's always aggressive and looking for his shot and, and just confident in his jumper, then I think Denver has a long, long, long way to go. So Jamal Murray, to me, is the X factor for this team. And I hope we get more and more good Murray and less and less bad Murray because this half, you watch the first half, that's what Denver looks like with bad Murray. You watch the second half, that's what they look like with, with good Murray. Uh, a couple final notes here. Denver only shot two free throw attempts uh, in the game, the lowest of any game this season. No t- the previous lowest five. Denver beat that this season with, or beat that last night with, with four. And San Antonio, not that much of a surprise. Denver not great at getting foul calls and drawing fouls and getting contact, especially with the way San Antonio was defending them. I thought Denver settled a lot for, for uncomfortable shots, kind of in that floater zone, so they weren't getting all the way into the teeth of the defense and being aggressive. But also San Antonio, this has been Greg Popovich. One of the reasons the Spurs have an elite defense year in and year out is because they don't foul people. They're great at it. They are great at not fouling. They they preach that. It is one of the tenets of the Church of Pop to not foul. So um, as much as it sucks to to set the record for a season with only with only four, um, it's actually not that surprising given the offensive team and the defensive team. Um, and then the other thing I kind of wondered was, are teams going to start going under screens? And I, I wish I was on the road tonight to kind of talk to Malone about this, talk to Jamal. Just kind of, not that these guys, they, they never give, they never kind of tip their hand when you ask them these types of questions. But, um, you know, maybe a, a way to pry and kind of find out. 
it, what is so disruptive about that? Because from my perspective, you go under the screen on a DHO with Jokic, there, there's a very specific type of footwork, and Gary Harris has mastered this footwork, but there's a very specific type of footwork of coming off that screen to square up and get the three-point shot in rhythm. Gary Harris, one of the best in the NBA, I think, at this one. Teams go under that handoff. Uh, Gary Harris is so good at sort of um, stepping back into that three-pointer, squaring up, and getting a nice set shot. Well, Denver didn't get a lot of those tonight, despite the fact that they were going under. So it made me wonder, is that something other teams are going to try out at some points this season to, to throw Denver off? Denver's offense is so dynamic when they get the ball moving and teams are scrambling and playing from behind. I think San Antonio tonight dared Denver to shoot and, and win this game from shooting, and Denver kind of choked, quite frankly. They got disrupted, and they just uh, Denver's a great three-point shooting team. You win think that strategy would work but what it worked to do was to do make denver um do something they weren't in their mind prepared to do and and and, and it was kind of brilliant so those were one of my questions uh and one of my takeaways but you know what denver's best unit this is why i'm not panicked denver's best unit looks continues to look even tonight when they had a, a one bad quarter they looked good in the second good in the third great in the fourth uh, and, and I just think that unit has so much potential and 20 more games to go or 19 more games to go in the season. If they all stay, stay healthy, I think I'm not going to be the only one. I, I, I'm oftentimes I feel like I'm the first one because people aren't paying attention to the nuggets nationally. I'm the first one to kind of push these narratives out there. I think if this unit gets 19 more games together, everybody is going to be talking about how great that starting lineup is. And I just, I don't even mind. There's a couple people that have been trying to say, Oh, I don't know, small sample size or this or that. I, I don't care. I am so confident in this take that um, I, I, I do not mind putting it out there and putting my name on it and having this be able to a thing that could come back to haunt me because it won't. I'm too confident in that lineup. And uh, if Denver can get a win on Wednesday against the Lakers, they might have a chance to kind of get rolling and get a rhythm again um, on Friday against the Warriors. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Looking forward to tomorrow. I'm going to have a couple guests on with some interesting topics to discuss. I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be a fun show. Um, and if you haven't already, leave a rating or review on iTunes. I always appreciate those. Haven't gotten any any and for a while um those go a long way to growing the show and then lastly come out wednesday wednesday night stoney's uptown on 17th really cool bar really clean bar lots of great drinks food specials and of course we get to watch the nuggets beat the lakers and possibly bury them six feet under thanks for listening we'll see you then thank you for listening to the locked on nuggets podcast be sure to subscribe on itunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com